Romans chapter 1 is often a, a place where Christians can go to find some reference to understand part of what we call the doctrine of depravity or the, the doctrine of sin. And uh, I, I think, I believe you guys are beginning to see some of what we're talking about here. I'm going to read to you this morning again from verse 16 to the end of verse 23. Some of it will be review and we're kind of getting into a tiny bit of new territory. But follow along his train of thought. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. Pay special attention to that always. In it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Many would say this is from the faith of one to the faith of another. Righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now here's why that's important. Follow his argument. Many people might think, well, big deal. I don't care. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. But then he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, which is why the preceding lines are important. The wrath of God is revealed. Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile, and their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals and creeping things. So I wanted to review with you for a minute dark wisdom. Dark wisdom is uh, something that people don't naturally understand that they contend with. Last week, we were pondering on man's wrathworthiness, if you will. We're reading about what is a fatal heart condition of mankind. There's a visible presentation of God's invisible attributes. There's some interesting phrases like this. Paul says it was manifest to them. They were clearly seen, but they were things invisible about God that were clearly seen. God's eternal power and his deity, verse 19, says God had shown it to them. So they know it. 
and we need to understand, or I believe, of course, you understand that we're supposed to see this with eyes of the mind. This is how men came to comprehend this. And they were to be Godward thinkers, and they were to be true worshipers of the things that were manifest to them. There, there is an accountability between men and God by these invisible things that are seen. You see that there? They were accountable to do that. That's why it says they were without excuse. But how did they reply to this thing that was shown to them? They, they were shown something. They saw something. And verse 18 says one of their responses is that they suppress the truth in unrighteousness or they unfairly, they unjustly restrain something from being able to, to move forward. They were unfair. It's unfair to, to limit the expression of the thing that they saw. They were to actually be involved in the repeating of it or the glorifying of it, but their silence, their creative reinterpretations of the things they saw. What's the creative reinterpretation of the doctrine of creation? If men were to creatively re-explain creation and by that suppress the truth. What do you think we should call that? Devolution. Right? Evolution. It's a very scientific, smart, wise sounding thing that suppresses the truth of creation, doesn't it? That's exactly what he's talking about here. It's, it's, it's unjust, it's unfair, it's not right to present something like that when you know it's not true. What I see also is that their, their unwillingness to acknowledge God and His deity and their lack of thankfulness is also one of our own failures. It's, it's easy to read through some things like this and to find other people to blame and to find ourselves outside of this circle of, of, uh, of charge outside of the circle of, of guilt. We too have shared in this poor calculating, this, this miscalculating of the deity of God and his worthiness. And this first defect of men, this first failure of men, eventually the scriptures call their, their sinfulness, turns into darkened hearts that you see at the end of verse 21. Their hearts were darkened. This was a, a collateral defect. Men don't adapt their minds in life to the plain testimony of Scripture and what they don't realize are the collateral effects of it. One of the things I was pondering on is, is sometimes somebody who has been a smoker for many years will warn a young person against smoking. They'll say, don't start. Because it may very well be that you can't quit. And, 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 and that person sharing that testimony will often say, it's, it's already had a terrible effect on my lungs. It's had an effect on other parts of my life. 
I didn't know I was going to have all these problems that came along. And they'll warn young people, they'll, they'll tell people, don't even start because you may not escape the destruction that it's doing to your body and to your life. It's poisoning me, it's poisoning us, and your life will be compromised. The darkened hearts of, of men and women who ignore these fundamental realities in the creation is a collateral damaging effect. The darkened heart is something that makes men worse than they were before. And they didn't know they were going to get worse in this way. Men didn't go, oh, if I ignore God, then my heart is also going to become darkened and I'm going to lose my ability to be perceiving things of God's light. They didn't know that, but that's exactly what happened. Their hearts were darkened. And it's because God's goodness is to be recognized and exalted and proclaimed. Darkened hearts leads to a, a perverse comprehension of the gospel. Darkened hearts leads to a perverse comprehension of truth. And what you'll see here in a moment, a perverse understanding of what real wisdom is. This section of scripture here is going to challenge your concepts of what wisdom is and what it really means to be wise. But these darkened hearts are beginning to experience spiritual deadness. And you remember last week, one of the references we, we made was to the, the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus came to his own people. And what did his people think when they saw God in the flesh come to them? They rejected him. They preferred the darkness. They preferred evil because their deeds were evil. This is the exact thing that we're talking about here in Romans chapter 1. The, the, the evil deeds are the deeds that are ignoring God's sovereignty, God's deity, God's eternality. It's what they do trying to put that out of their minds. Those evil deeds lead them to a deadened ability to perceive truth. Those people ministered to by Jesus were pained by the light of Christ. They were offended by the light of Christ. They were angered by the light of Christ. And one of the very fascinating things that, that I want to help you see here in Romans chapter 1 is this fatal condition, this worsened condition of dark hearts leads to even more worse conditions. And this is how Romans unfolds. Look at verse 22, which we read a moment ago. Professing to be wise. So we just read their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. And therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suggest to you that we're going to find two kinds of wisdom now. I'm going to very briefly consider two kinds of wisdom. See, these ones are professing to be wise and became fools. Wisdom is a mental process that men and women engage in. 
Wisdom admires right. And wisdom recognizes the peril of wrong. Wisdom knows if you do your investing wrong, it'll be bad for your savings. So wisdom is a process of calculating benefit and disadvantage. It is a method of reasoning that directs you and I or directs people to excellence. The word philosophy is a compound word that puts the word love and wisdom together in Greek. Philo is a word for love in Greek. Sophie or Sophia is a word for wisdom. Philo, Sophia is a love of wisdom. So this word philosophy brings the word wisdom into it. And so when I say I have a philosophy of life, you understand that that the way I govern and direct my life is kind of based on this desire to find the right way, to live life the beneficial way, the proper way. I have a philosophy. We have a philosophy of faith. We have a philosophy of religion. And men choose their do's and don'ts according to their philosophy, according to their wisdom. Don't eat dessert at every meal. This is kind of one of those very shallow sorts of philosophies that, that we might say, because if you ate a dessert at every meal, it would have a poor impact on your health. You would maybe be unhealthy if you ate dessert at every meal as much as I would like to. And I probably would if Leanne served it at every meal. I'm not sure I'm, I'm wise in this way. Wisdom might tell you to not spend all of your income every month. Right? If you did, you'd have no savings. That, that would be unwise. That would be foolish. Men dictate their lives according to their principles of wisdom. Men and women and even children, they dictate, they, they, they program, they determine their lives according to what they believe is wise. And we would also pretty easily recognize and we would say, you are a fool or I am a fool or they are fools who do not follow wisdom. If you don't do what's wise, you're a fool. And what men don't naturally know, and this is an important point here in this passage we're looking at, what men do not naturally know is that there is another kind of wisdom. There is such a thing as spiritual wisdom. And that's what we're seeing here in Romans 1.22. There are two kinds of wisdom. There is something called worldly wisdom in the Bible. And there is something called spiritual wisdom in the Bible. And that's why when we see that these ones who are professing to be wise, they think and they reason. They have determined in their own minds that what they are about is right. It's beneficial. Professing to be wise means a claim. Maybe it's out loud in their words, or maybe it's just in the self-confidence in which they, they engage in their activities. I know. I believe. It seems reasonable is a, a, a term we might hear nowadays. We love the reasonableness of 
things, if it seems reasonable. But the gospel and scripture, the gospel is at odds with man's natural wisdom. And what I believe we've seen even to this point in Romans is that men grow distant from God practicing natural wisdom. Men grow farther and farther away from God as they obey the dictates of their natural wisdom. What we're seeing in verse 22 is professing to be wise, they became fools. They turned from the glory of God by their wisdom. I can't really get into their shoes, but there is something, there is a natural instinct in men to ignore the glory of God. I'm not trying to exclude you from this fault. I want to include you in this fault. There's, there's something natural in you that ignores the glory of God. They don't know. We don't know that our own hearts are not capable of true wisdom. And men believe that the world and this life is computed and reasoned by wisdom. And so we have the great philosophers of the Greeks are still read by people today. And you can go to college campuses around the world who love reading Plato and, and Socrates and these great wise philosophers who are seeking the, the, the deepest and the, the truest paths of life. But they have miscalculated the necessity of divine wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.22 1 Corinthians 1.22 A man or a woman who does not soberly apprise the necessity of divine wisdom is lost. If you will not acknowledge and seek spiritual wisdom, you will be lost and you will stay lost. Listen to this verse, 1 Corinthians 1.21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Do you see these two kinds of wisdom contrasted? You see that there is a kind of wisdom that's confident in even ignoring God's wisdom. Is that 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians 1.21 In the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Through the love of of wisdom, through the pursuit of wisdom, the world did not and could not know God. You see that? Worldly wisdom won't take you there. It cannot take you there. Men should have been humble. They should have been dependent on God. They should have been glorifying of God and His natural revelation. They should have known their need of His revelation to show them the way to eternal life. But instead, it seems that men comfort and help themselves by their own love of wisdom. They find comfort. They find hope. They find satisfaction. Now consider worldly wise 
reasoning or worldly wise logic. Consider this with me for a second. Worldly wisdom that is exposed here in this passage has an affinity for images. It has an attraction to images. Worldly wise reasoning, it doesn't even go into why. It just says it's so. Look at verse uh, 22 and 23 where it says, Romans chapter 1, verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. So these wise ones, these ones acting under the guise of and under the direction of their own wisdom became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. In his wisdom, he exchanged something he couldn't see for something he could see. We're actually shown earlier in Romans that he could see it, but it wasn't a picture of God. It was a contemplation. It was a, it was a manifestation of his eternal attributes and his deity. But what did men do in their natural wisdom with that? They exchanged it. Their natural wisdom convinced them to change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Fools change the glory of God into an image. And that word image in the Greek is where we get our word icon. They exchanged the glory of God for an icon. And we're familiar with icons if we use smartphones and computers because little bitty pictures the size of your fingernail tell you something. And we, we actually get a kick out of these little mini pictures that communicate things to each other. Even when you send each other text messages, you send each other silly little pictures of things instead of words. And, and, and we know what these little pictures mean. This is a difficult thing, I believe, for us to, to, to really get our minds around. If you saw God's infinite presence, remember, there, 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 there's no shape to that, but if you saw this, and you saw his immortal being, it's called incorruptible in verse 23, and then changed what you saw, you exchanged it for something else. What is the inference? What is the Spirit getting at? When you see what in some ways is incomprehensible and you trade it for something that is simple and visible, what is the inference? What is being shown to us? Well, let me simplify this. If you have a picture of your wife or of your husband, why would you change what that picture looks like? Why would you take that picture to a little shop in Ukiah or to your friend who knows how to do Photoshop? Why would you have that picture altered and changed? Because you didn't like the image of the real thing. You would get it changed because you wanted it to look better. You would want it to be pleasing to you, and so you would change it. You would change the picture to suit your preference. That's why people get rid of one image and, and claim another one. 
It implies you don't like what you see. It implies that you can make it more personally appealing. Now, as I was saying, the perceiving of God has no lines, it has no colors. There isn't an image to see in the person of God. As you and I ponder the eternality of God and the deity of God in his words and his works, he is magnificent. Without end of words, you, you, you can't finish describing the excellence and the glory of God. And therefore, I, I believe it's, it's incredibly obvious why in the commandments where man is forbidden to make any image to represent God, that is because any image that was an attempt to represent him would be to blaspheme him or would be to limit him. If God could be reduced to an image, then your thoughts of him and your conception of him is immediately brought down to very, very, very low levels in our minds. Any image limits and demeans his true greatness. And we have to always remember that he is known by his revelation and his words and his works. We read the scripture, we can read the revelation that is made to us by the prophets, and we can see his works in the history of man. But darkened hearts and the foolishness of aweless and thankless men turn the image, turn to the image of things made. The first one in the list is like men, and then four-footed animals. And so man, therefore, begins to extol the glory of created things instead. Men take some delight in created things instead. Trading God's glory for an icon. And these icons, men praise, men put their hope in them and sacrifice to them. I was pondering a little bit today Cars, vehicles will have gun stickers on them. Sometimes I see silhouettes that are sexually implicit, explicit. There's, there's these little silhouettes, stickers on cars. You'll see diversity logos on people's cars. You'll see political symbols on people's cars. And these icons symbolize help. Strength, hope, joy, ambition. These stickers, these icons say something that these people believe are important and that they are all about. It says fools made this exchange. What was the vehicle fools used to make this exchange? How did they do it? They did it by wisdom. They did it by wisdom. If you look down there, in your Bible where we started reading this morning, verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. So their wisdom drove them, led them to take what is corruptible in exchange for what was incorruptible and what is incorruptible. Their wisdom led them to trade the glory of God 
for something that was simple and shallow. So worldly wise, those who are worldly wise are given up, is what he goes on to explain to us in verse 24. Those who have followed their worldly wisdom and exchanged the glory of God are given up. And this is another unanticipated consequence. This is another uh, step down, if you will. As men progress along this chain reaction of events, verse 24 says, Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchange the truth of God for a lie. This is a consequence. Therefore, this is what happened when they behave in this way and they followed their own wisdom. God gives them up. And it seems that until this point, there has been some restraint on men. It would seem that at least up until now, there has been something maintaining some kind of Look at your Bible in verse 24. The word is uncleanness. You see that word uncleanness? They're given up to uncleanness. So before they were given up, they were a little more clean. When they're given up, they are given up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies. So this restraint is taken away and they are given up. And this sin of aloofness to God, this unwillingness to glorify Him as God, and this thanklessness then becomes a dull darkness of heart. And then men begin to look to simple images and to icons. And then God gives them up. He gives them to the fruits of their uncleanness and lust is how Paul describes it here. The, the word uncleanness is the word a catharsis. You've heard the word cathartic before, maybe. It's a word that's in the English language. And when you put an A in front of something in the, in the Greek language, it's like saying not. The word catharsis means purged. Or cleansed. And so uncleanness means not purged, not cleansed. They are given up to not cleansed. They are given up to not cleaned. So, in other words, the, the, the filter is broken. The thing that keeps them clean, it just gets dirtier and dirtier and dirtier and more and more filthy. Lust is a powerful craving for money or sensual pleasure or power. Lust is wanting with an inordinate zeal. An overambitious appetite is what lust is. And so men who are unmoved by the glory of God and, and not turned to, not drawn to, not loving the glory of God, these men who are insubordinate to his power and his supremacy become darkened in their heart. And then there is a spell, it seems. There's this way of being about them that is its own kind of wisdom. 
that is contentedly searching and relying on its own tools. This kind of wisdom is doing its own thing. It's about me. It's about my. It's about my ability to figure it out. It's a rejection of supernatural revelation. And then their bodies become a place of dishonor. Anything goes. The implication here is is sexual in nature. And this is the fourth or the fifth step in these men's falling away from righteousness and godliness. And what I want you to recognize here is that this ah catharsis, this uncleanness where where the restraint of the individual and of the group, the, the, the thing keeping them cleaner is then taken away. Here, here they were at a degree of some kind of clean and then God takes it away. The judgment itself is the dirtiness. The judgment of God is the increasing uncleanness. Do you see that? Sometimes I don't think it's intuitive for you and I to understand that sinfulness grows into larger and uglier sinfulness and that is the judgment in itself. Lust was already there. But there was apparently some kind of restraint on it, and God gives them up, and restraint is lost. And others are emboldened, and they share in this uncleanness together. Verse 25. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie? Let's back up all the way into 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts. Isn't that interesting? The heart is the place where this thing was. They're given up to these things that were in their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. It's a plural activity. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie? Now, that's the thing that comes before. That's the precursor. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They worship and serve the creature. And the first creature on the list is man. Isn't that interesting? Corruptible man. They adore man. They worship man. You see that? And then birds and four-footed animals. And this is where they are after this chain reaction has been in the process of unwinding and unfolding in humanity of men. What we'll see in the days to come. This is for the most part speaking to the non-Jewish men. The Jews and the self-righteous get their chapter in chapter 2 to also show how sinful they are as well. This increasing immorality 
It's the judgment of God. The truth of God is exchanged. Verse 23 calls it the glory of the incorruptible God. So we find truth named by a different label in verse 23, the glory of the incorruptible God. And so men's dealing with truth, that that may be known of him because God has shown it to them, kind of going back up further into the passage there, men's dealing with truth, that that may be known about God has been manifest to them because he has shown it to them. The way he's dealt with this results in God giving them up. What does that mean if God has given someone up? If if God has given up on them, how do they get back? Where are they when they're given up? Their their, their given up-ness is shown to us as their sinfulness. That's, That's given up is in a greater degree of pleasure in their immorality. That's where they're at. Let's think for just a moment about godly wise on the other hand. The section we were just considering I called worldly wise. That's what the wisdom of man gave to man. Let's consider godly wise for just a moment. Men do not see and reason as they should. And if you would hear, if you would hear and if you would trust, if you would believe in the wisdom of God, God reveals salvation. He reveals righteousness for everyone who believes, the Jew first and also for the Greek. We just read 1 Corinthians 1.21 a moment ago. I'm going to read it to you again. 1 Corinthians 1.21. Then I'm going to read one more verse from Paul to the Corinthians. He says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of preaching. Foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. There's a very practical thing for you and I to ponder here. You may be one of these lost ones who is teetering on the edge of the given up cliff there. And here's the word. Here's where hope is. The word preached. The word preached. You might read it preached, or you might listen to me preaching it. But the word preached is the glimmer of light for the one who's turned his back on God and who is lost. God's wisdom brings you the message of His glorious grace and the hope of eternal life through the preached Word, not through your contemplating on the way to eternal life apart from Him. 
The preached word says repent. And the preached word says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For his righteousness is made yours by faith. The righteousness of Christ becomes a man's by faith. All men must repent of the world's wisdom and the world's darkness. The darkness that blinds our hearts is given light by Christ. I read this verse too in the last week or two. The darkness that blinds men's hearts is given light by Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.6. You need to read this verse. 2 Corinthians 4.6. Being godly wise means to hear God's word and apply it by faith. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, which is referring to the creative work of the universe. It is God who spoke the universe into existence. God said, Let there be light. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. And then he shifts it to spiritual light in the next part of the phrase. He says, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the sin where men began to fall into lostness in the beginning of the book of Romans, the sin that is to begin, the beginning of, A man's foolishness is to ignore the glory of God, right? Ignore his eternality, ignore his deity, don't thank him. That sin is the sin that is the beginning of man's depravity. And look at what he says here. It is this God who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of what? The glory of God. In other words, the gospel holds forth for you the ability and the need to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Don't be ignorers of God's glory. Be admirers of God's glory. Don't continue in that sin that men have been in from the beginning of time that we're looking at there in the first part of Romans. The Lord Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. The glory of God is for you to admire. The glory of God is something for you to see and know and give Him thanks for. That's not what men do with naturalism. What do men do by the wisdom of faith? What do men do by the wisdom of God? They look to the Lord Jesus Christ. They ponder on the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for their righteousness. You must look to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't live apart from this glorious offer of 
hope and eternal life in Christ. You cannot do it any other way. This verse is so amazingly uh, a cure for the depravity of man. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. It is the God of creation who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Are the eyes of your heart fixed on Jesus Christ? Are the eyes of your heart enamored with the glory of God and Jesus Christ? If your eyes are stuck on some icon of hope, some shallow, weak, pathetic idol of hope or strength, instead of Christ, you are lost. You are an idolater. But if your eyes have been given light to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is the hope of life because of the righteousness offered you and I by Him, by faith. Unless we can see that, then we are lost. And yet, seeing it, we see a great hope. Does your heart rejoice in seeking and finding the strength for you and I in Christ? Does your heart find joy in seeing the beauty of the glory of God in Jesus Christ? Turn to the Lord Jesus afresh. Acknowledge the glories of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for what He's given to us in Christ. Be worshipers of the true God in Christ. I hope you'll make some time this week to, to spend time in His Word and, and to seek and find the glories of God in the Lord Jesus Christ and be true worshipers. I hope you'll make time to do that this week. Will you close with me in a word of prayer? Oh, great God, how we thank You and praise You for the life and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for the exhortations to repent and to be born again and to and to know him and to believe him oh god we thank you for his great profound words of teaching the great clarity that he has shown us the way to life oh lord may these friends be encouraged today to know your glory your generosity your humility even. God, we we thank you and we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.